Welcome. Um, thank you guys so much. Sorry for the confusion. We were, we kind of overlooked the detail of assuming how many people go to each class. So thank you guys for working with us. Um, feel free to take a seat. We are going to be very interactive in this class though. So again, as best as you can, set yourself up to be in a comfortable position to get feedback because we're going to need you guys' help on that. Uh, quick backstory, my name is Alex Jackson. This is actually right. Um, a little bit of my personal story. I actually became a Christian here at North River a little over 10 years ago. I was one of those guys that somebody randomly invited out through somebody else. And I was very grateful to learn more about God and really the fellowship from that. Um, so from that, life took a few different twists and turns. Um, I went from being the most selfish person in the world to being one who really started to love a lot of other people. And with that gave the gift of helping to lead a ministry. Um, during that pursuit, they were like, hey, why don't you help lead the ministry that you were once a part of? That sounded awesome. Then they were like, why don't you help lead a few of the other ministries that are around that area? At the time I was in campus, I was like, uh, whoa, 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 why not? There were some limitations that happened with that, though. Me being one who was always growing up in the city, never really used to driving on my own or being on my own, being to a situation where I had to go take care of people that were spread out all across the city and didn't have a car. And I was still learning myself how to build those male-female relationships that we're talking about next door. Or even learning how to build strong relationships with older men. Yeah. But God delivered me through all those things and has helped me a ton. Um, after that, though, there became more struggles that I would say associated with a more mature life, whether it be aging parents or seeing the death of loved ones or learning how to be able to take care of people that are older than you. And I think from that, God has helped me to see different perspectives and principles that we're going to be able to talk to you guys about today. Um, turn it over to Ashley. Yeah. So um, my name is Ashley. Um, I was, I'm like giving you a little bit of what I said this morning. However, um, 10 years ago in October, I became a disciple at the Athens Church of Christ. I was going to UGA at the time. Actually, this Miss Jasmine is who reached out to me. Um, so my journey has been pretty, um, it's been kind of crazy. I mean, I got baptized there. I was there for about three years. And then after that, I moved to Atlanta for a year. Um, it was here that I really felt, um, I learned a lot about discipling and just getting help, like, in leading and things like that. I was leading in Athens, um, but kind of doing it in the strength that I had, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I feel like here, um, I really did learn a lot from some of the older women in my life and the mentoring and discipling. So from there, after a year, I decided, um, actually God decided, I got a ministry internship in Philadelphia. So I went off to Philadelphia, and I lived there for two years, and I worked for the campus ministry, and then I started working for Hope Worldwide and started leading the singles ministry in um, Philadelphia as well. Um, that was definitely a very um, trying time. It was incredible, and it was very difficult. Um, and I again found myself kind of at that place where I was just running on fumes and kind of doing it all in my own strength. So I decided after two years to come back to Atlanta and um, get my master's, but also just kind of rehab um, myself spiritually. So I did that. 
um, stayed here for two years and then um, ended up in Seattle where I'm now working for the ministry and also working as a private practice therapist. So I'll tell you a little bit more about Seattle um, when I share some practicals and things in a couple minutes, but um, I think this class really came to me at a really specific time where I'm actually going through the need to have more faith. The couple that's been leading Seattle for um, 20 years is now stepping out of the ministry and there were a the couple that was discipling me and training me and my co-leader up. So um, that's been really challenging. And then also going into the ministry for a singles ministry of about 50 to 70 people that hadn't had leadership for a couple years mm -hmm. as well. Um, so definitely God is working in and through all these different situations. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to share those things with you guys, but I think we first want to kind of set the stage for some of the scenarios and things and needs that we can address in this class. So Definitely. Amen. Amen. So um, this being a class about faith uh, and it being an interactive class, we definitely wanted to field a few of the situations that maybe you guys are going through that are causing you to struggle in your faith or question or ask for more. And what we're going to do is we're going to write some of those on the board, if you don't mind. We're all interactive here. We're all together, right? All about that? Okay. So if you have something in your mind, maybe it's a situation in your ministry, maybe it's something in your own life, feel free just to... Tell me, and I'll write it on the board. Pride. My own pride. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's everywhere, bro. Pride. Okay. My own selfishness and not wanting to help others. Okay, own selfishness. Doing uh, most of the work, a lot of work in the ministry, but not having boundaries. Okay. And feel free also if there are particular scenarios that you guys are rolling through, like I just don't, I just don't know how this is going to even work. Um, for instance, I know once I, I kind of gave it a little bit in my little intro. I was asked to help lead a few different ministries in a couple different areas, and I didn't have a car. And you guys all rode Marta yesterday. You know how long that took. I, how, do, how do I get around? I don't know how to meet all these people. I don't know how to see them again and supply what's lacking in their faith. So if you have scenarios, feel free to address those as well. Don't forget the last one you said. You want me to give you a scenario? No, the last. Okay, uh, doing a lot in the ministry, but not having boundaries. Gotcha. That's two words. Leading people who are weak or resistant, having the faith in yourself to be able to do that. My insecurities. Own insecurities. Being able to work past your own insecurities. I think I saw another hand. Uh, how to help uh, incoming campus transitioning to singles. Helping people transition. Maybe when you're transitioning yourself, in some ways. Okay. Anybody else? Um, I think just feeling pressure to meet a, a wide variety of needs, or you know, how can I 
best do that. Maybe that goes back to some of those boundary things, but just, you know, feeling, um, you know, how do you be all things to all people? You know, Trying to be all way. things to all people, yeah. okay? Meeting a wide variety of needs. Gary. Um, I would say, just for myself personally, just not getting overwhelmed trying to find out where I fit in, being open how do you kind of integrate yourself into the ministry? Yeah. Okay. Integrate yourself. Any any other thoughts or can, areas you need faith out there? Seeing the good amidst the problems. Seeing the good amidst the problems. Okay. That's good. No, we'll address that. Okay. For me, it's having faith that I can relate and that I can be effective at really making disciples out in the world. It's not just my interactions or relationships in this room. Okay. How do I think that I can help someone feel God? Okay, being able to relate. Okay. Anybody else? I was thinking about, you know, as young professionals, it's hard to balance our careers or like our jobs. It's a good one. And housemates, Balancing all the needs there, balancing career, particularly career, and maybe ministry life. Okay. Pierre, did you have your hand up? Yes. Um, scriptures talk about like you know God's strength is made, is made possible in, in our weaknesses. Just having that faith that even within the weaknesses in the in our groups in our ministries that um, that okay that God promised that okay we can be strong and how are we you know having how, how can we have faith that we will be strong in the weaknesses? Okay. 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 We got a few things. I'm sure there might be. A little bit more simmering on your heart, and that's fine. We're actually going to have a time later on where we're going to break up into smaller groups of three to kind of discuss specific ways to implement some of the principles that Ashley and I are going to talk about. But as she's finishing that up, what we're going to start to do is kind of transition into some of the principles. Great. Next slide, Jimmy. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, so if you guys have a Bible... Go ahead and open it up to Romans for me, chapter 14. Now, I personally don't believe Romans 14 that you guys are lacking half as much as you think. And my reason for that is, is if you did, I doubt that you would be here. Now the question is, do you have enough to approach your situations in life? So the first practical I really want to give to you guys is approaching the facts of your life or your ministry with faith. You have to approach the facts with faith. Coming from the class we just went to, in a lot of ways, this also ties in a little bit what John talked about of really assessing the wall. Being able to understand, okay, what's the actual situation that's going on around me? Or what's the actual situation that's going on in my life? A lot of times, we just don't necessarily see that in the right way. Sometimes it can actually even influence us as leaders to color our ministry or our lives or our relationships in a certain way. And thus, we hinder the growth that we think we want to have. 
But it doesn't mean our faith is not there. It just means we're not looking at the facts the right way. And in Romans chapter 14, I'm so sorry, I said 14. Ha ha ha. I meant four. You meant four? I meant four. Okay. My, My wife corrected me and I was like lost. Thank you, love. Okay. <clears throat> in chapter four, starting in verse 18, it says, In hope he believed against all hope that he should become father of many nations just as he had been told, so that in you and your offspring they will be. He didn't weaken in his faith, even though he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. And when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, he had no distrust to waver concerning the promises of God. But he grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what God had promised. I love in this passage how it's said that Abraham considered those things. The man was a hundred. If anybody should have had like all resolved to be like, this is just never gonna happen, the man was a hundred. And his wife was 90. So it was like way past anything that we understand. But it said that he considered the facts and had resolve about what God can do. Yeah. I think the beauty of this is, it's now those obstacles, quote unquote, that he had to overcome, that's our symbol of hope. Don't we look at Abraham as a father of faith? And is it not for this very reason? I think God wants to do those same things in our life. But sometimes we don't think of ourselves in that same resolve. He had to resolve that God was able through what he could not understand. But he assessed what he clearly understood. And I think we have to do those same things. For instance, I gave you the example earlier. I was in a situation where I didn't have a car. How am I going to get to these people? I have at least four areas of town I need to get to that are all 20 minutes away. When I take Marta in and on its own, I take about an hour and a half to get to each place. So that leaves no time for me in the rest of my life to do anything that I want to do, let alone have family, let alone go hang out with people, let alone, I just be traveling all day on Marta. I, I can't figure out how God's going to work this out. So I remember assessing that fact and then bringing it to someone else and it was like, well, why don't you just ride with me? Never did I consider that everybody else in the ministry had a car. The scripture said you just need to be with them and supply was lacking in their faith. I thought I had to do it a certain way. The moment that I allowed myself to, okay, I'm just going to ride with so-and-so wherever they need to go, and then we can have time with them in the car, my life actually got a lot easier. To be honest, at this point in my life, I envy it a little bit. I miss that part of my life because I was depending more on God than me getting all of my situations together. But I first had to start with the facts. Where are the facts of where I am right now? I think a lot of times leaders don't faithfully assess the facts, and they allow that to color their ministry's output. So as a result, their ministry is being led by their false faithlessness, as opposed to any type of faith at all. That's your practical number one, really assessing the facts. Practical number two, sometimes I think you have to consider another perspective. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 11. Come on. Mm -hmm. 
Has anybody ever sat down in a D time and just just knew that their situation was bad and they just needed to vent about it for a second? And hopefully, you know, whoever they're getting time with will relate. And then when they got there, the person was just in, it was like, you're wrong. No, just me? Okay. You go in and you're like, okay, I know this brother is going to, he's going to understand what's going on. He's going to be on my side. We're going to have to go talk with this other person to help straighten them out. And then they, they come and say, basically, actually, you're the one that's in the wrong. Yep. You have the wrong perspective. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we forget that sin clouds our own judgment. Mm -hmm. I want to take a moment to look at Abraham's life very quickly. He was a father of faith. But in many ways, he has very specific moments in his life where his faithlessness changed the course of history. Whether it be him not believing that he could be strong enough or God is strong enough to help him keep his wife. So he basically sent her off to different men to be their wives at different times. Remember those moments? Yeah. Or being passive when his wife became faithless and actually sleeping with his servant so that he could have a child that way. And then we get the line of Ishmael. Who knows how much pain and trouble that's caused? Our faithlessness as leaders can have the same effect. Mm -hmm. yeah. We can stop that when we consider another perspective. Can I get somebody to read in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19? Go for it, Tim. All right, 17, <coughs> 19. I Abraham when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Okay. We're Christians. Way, way, way down the line. We're all about raising people from the dead. But have you ever thought, where did Abraham get that thought from? Where did that perspective even happen? The thing that made Jesus so special is that no one had really seen anybody get raised from the dead. Abraham is hundreds of years earlier, but he had so much faith in God that he considered, I guess God's just going to have to raise him from the dead. Wow. How much has changed just from him considering another perspective? Yeah. Well, I know God, God made it pretty clear he's going to come through this kid and not Ishmael. I tried that. That ain't work. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess I got to get another perspective. I guess, I guess he has a raisin from the dead. Now, we're lucky. We got a Bible. You got other people. You got a lot of ways that you can find another perspective, whether it's you taking time to get directly in the scriptures or time with somebody else. But if you take these two practicals, I think in a lot of ways you can help reassess your faith. Number one, approaching your situation or your facts with faith. And number two, considering another perspective. I'm going to turn it over to Ashley for some more practicals. Come on, Ashley. All right. So I'm actually going to share um, about one of the women in the Bible, um, Esther. Um, so I'm going to actually read here and... Esther chapter 4 in verses 7 through 17. So it says, Mordecai told him everything that happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show Esther and to explain it to her. 
he Amy told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence and to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathcock went back and reported to Esther that Mordecai, what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, <clears throat> he sent back this answer. Do you not think because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape? For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? Then mm -hmm. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. So I'm sure you guys are all familiar with the story of Esther. They've made like movies about it, right? Um, but I just love this. I was studying this out this week. Um, and I think one thing that stood out to me is that I, you know, have always focused on this, like, surrender that Esther had. Like, if I perish, let me perish, you know, like, and this bravery. But there was something different I saw this week. And I actually saw that Esther did not want to do this. Like, she kind of went back to Mordecai and was like, hey, like, it's been 30 days since I've been summoned. And, like, I might die if I do this, right? And then Mordecai kind of gave her, like, a reality check. Like, hey, you you could not do it and like deliverance will come for the Jews if you don't but if you don't like you won't be spared and she's like okay all right well if I die I die um and the point I want to make about this is that one Mordecai re reminded her of God's sovereignty but also she radically surrendered and when she radically surrendered it wasn't just like 180 it was like full circle, like 360, right? So I'll share a little bit about my experience and some of these principles that have really helped me um, in Seattle. So I've been living in Seattle for about two years. And honestly, I forgot that Seattle existed. Like I was like, oh, Seattle there, okay. And I'll tell you how I got there. <clears throat> so I moved out there after graduating with my master's and I was applying for jobs in Georgia and Seattle. And all of these doors kept closing in Georgia and like doors, windows, everything started opening up in Seattle. And I'm like praying specifically like, God, <clears throat> I need a job where I can do this behavioral therapy with this type of salary and this location, all these different things. Nothing in Georgia. And I had more like professional contacts here than I had nothing in Seattle. So I was like, all right, God, you want me in Seattle. Well, some of you may ask why I apply in Seattle. So I was dating someone actually um, that I was... Yeah, I was dating someone out there in Seattle, and um, pretty quickly after I moved there, I realized that we just were not compatible, and um, after five very challenging weeks, I ended the relationship, um, and that was a really challenging time. Like, that, that was kind of like, whoa, that seems crazy, like, you know, who moves 
out there and then a couple weeks later ends a relationship. Um, but despite all of this, I was really confident that God wanted me in Seattle. Yeah. I knew there was no other reason he wanted me out there. So when I first moved there, um, basically there were no singles in the region that I was in. I was on the east side, which was kind of, it's the suburbs, right? So it's kind of like Marietta, Alpharetta. It's where kind of the big companies live, like Microsoft, but not a lot of single people, a lot of families. So in our ministry of about 200 in this region, or 250, there was three girls and two brothers. And, um, and that was like the younger group. So there were also remnant disciples from like what was a singles ministry back in the day, but they were kind of all dispersed and like you kind of saw them sometimes and sometimes you didn't. So um, I'm not gonna lie, like my first couple months there, I was just on adrenaline. Like, I was like, God, you brought me out here. It's me and you. We're going to do this. And I don't know if you guys have ever, like, been in an accident or been hit by something and, like, how it feels when you have adrenaline through your body. You don't even feel it, right? Like, and it's kind of like what the body does to protect you from that initial shock of pain. And that's what it was like for me. So then, so I moved there in, like, July. November hits. And I'm like, God, you've forsaken me. What am I doing here? This is the worst. I'm just like, God, like, I'm calling Jasmine every five minutes, like, help me, I'm dying, like, so, anywho, um, you know, that really showed me how quickly it was for me for, like, I got all this pride from feeling like, oh, God, I'm doing it your way, I'm trusting you, and all this different stuff, but God just totally fell out of my perspective. So, on the east side, that year I was there, we did build a singles ministry, Amen. There was no brother that could lead, so they found a couple to lead, um, and it was awesome. But actually, I'm not going to share about that. I want to share what happened when I actually went into the ministry on the west side. So the west side of, of the area of the Puget Sound is Seattle. So Seattle, um, and it's kind of in between the Cascade and the Olympic Mountains. And Seattle's incredible. If you haven't been there, I highly recommend it. I could talk for hours about that city, but um, I won't. So I went into the ministry um, in July of last year on the west side. I moved in with a family um, to kind of get on my feet and all these different things. And um, I started working with a brother named Mick Connors who was born and raised in Seattle, but I've been in Australia and trained in the ministry there. So we're both coming together with very strong ministry training type of like uh, perspectives and dynamics. Uh, and that had challenges in and of itself. But he's awesome. I'm so glad I was leading with him. Um, and then we start this group with this group of about 50 to 70 disciples. And we're like, awesome. We have all these people, like so many resources. They're all great, super talented. Like this is going to be like amazing. So it was great. I'm going to say that. But let me just say this about Seattle. Seattle actually has this reputation for being this like really intellectual and independent city. There's actually something we call the Seattle Freeze. And this is not in the church. This is just known amongst like everyone in Seattle. Seattle Freeze is basically you meet someone and they say, hi, yeah, we'd love to get coffee. Let's exchange numbers. And then like you text them and they do not respond like at all. Like they just will, you know, it's the Seattle Freeze. So we have done this whole series like unfreezing Seattle, but like it's just totally the culture there. You have to laugh about it um, to keep yourself from being hurt. Um, and then there's the relativism, right? Like it's a very liberal city and like, unfortunately the church is not immune to the cultures of our city, you know? So that's another thing where I'm like, 
all these things kind of pounding and I'm like losing faith. I'm like, God, how are we going to do this? Um, so all that. And then we step into the singles ministry. And I'm just going to say, like, just in all honesty, our first couple months in that singles ministry was a blood bath. Like, it was out of control. <laughs> like, we actually were losing more members than we were growing. It was kind of crazy. Um, you know, some people stayed, some people left, and the people that left really left a, a trail of smoke behind them. I mean, we were kind of calling people to righteousness and calling people to like, okay, we're building a ministry now. And some of the worldliness, you know, got in there. And there was unrepentant sin, there was secret sin going on. It was really a tough time. And I'll say this too, like, as far as how it affected my faith, um, I think one thing I realized about myself is that a lot of emotions came up that helped me to realize I wasn't making it about God. I mean, it was humbling, but it was also embarrassing. Um, and there was so many other hosts of emotions that helped me to see, like, wow, like, this is so, I'm making this so much about me and my efforts, right? So with all that being said, um, one thing that really helped me was being radically surrendered. Um, I love this account of Esther, and I love actually that she had apprehension. Um, that really helps me just to see, like, wow, God really knows where we're at with this. Sometimes we do struggle, and this is an incredible woman. Um, but when Mordecai reminded her that deliverance will come either way for God's people, um, but likely not in her generation if she didn't surrender, um, that then she came to that point, like, if I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. So one thing I really got from that is God won't be mocked. Like, mm -hmm. God is going to take care of his church. Um, and Mordecai was sure of this, but Esther had actually had to come to this realization mm -hmm. um, that God is sovereign even when it seems hopeless, yeah. even when it seems like you're helpless. Like, God, this is God's church, and he will not be mocked. Um, he's going to take care of his church whether I surrender to my role right now as a disciple or not. Um, so I found myself faced with this question. Was I willing to see this generation in my church go astray? Or would I surrender to be poured out like a drink offering, like Paul in Philippians 2? Was I willing to lay down my life and my pride, my insecurities, so that another could be lifted up? And the person to be lifted up was Jesus. Was I willing to stay humble amidst false accusations, mistrust, skepticisms, all those things that come along with kind of coming into a new ministry and a new culture and like, oh, Ashley, you're just from the South. You know, oh, Ash, you know, that's sort of like, am I willing to lay myself down for that? Um, ultimately, all of this meant I really just need to trust God's sovereignty. If you continue to read the book of Esther, you'll see incredible accounts of God's sovereignty. I mean, King Xerxes just happened to be perusing like through one of his like journals one night and he just happens to come across like, this story about the murder of, uh, or how Mordecai saved him from murder. Um, Haman, who hated the Jews, actually rode Mordecai, watched him take the honor that he wanted to bestow upon himself, and Haman actually ends up being killed on the very device that he built to kill Mordecai. Mm -hmm. This situation seemed so hopeless, you guys, but you can see God's sovereignty so interwoven into every aspect of the story. 
And I want to encourage you all with that. No matter what your situation may be, whether you're feeling insecure or feeling like really pulled and tugged and like, yeah. you know, I can't do this or feeling like, man, these people don't want to be led or these people, you know, like this culture of this city or this culture of this church is so whatever. God is still moving in it. He's still interwoven in it. He won't be mocked. He's going to take care of his church um, and he's going to take care of you. So um, I want to encourage you guys to go forward in surrendering yourself and being more than just faithful, but being full of faith. All right. Amen. 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 Okay, so again, we're going to address four particular practicals. You may have more, but we're just asking you to look at these four for right now. You're going to approach the facts, similar to what we talked about downstairs. You're going to consider another perspective other than the one you currently have. Radically surrender, spell that wrong, and God is sovereign. Four particular practicals. The reason that we're saying, hey, consider these four practicals is because what we'd like for you to do right now is to be able to take these four practicals, divide up into groups of three, and address some of the issues that you gave me a little bit earlier. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, what I may do, this, this, you may not like me because of this, but I'm a math person. So it helps me to simplify things so that I can look at it, okay? If you want to have a conversation with me about I simplified your life too much later, please, I will find you after. I'd love to do that. But some things I just see as, like, sin. Whether it's mine or somebody else's, it could just be sin. So how does approaching the facts, how can, that be, how can I address sin in that way? How can I consider another perspective to address sin? How can I radically surrender to address sin? How could I allow God's sovereignty in my life address the sin that's going on? Maybe it's just not a sin thing at all, which is sometimes it can be. Maybe there's just faith. Why are you gonna pass this security? Helping people transition. Faith to lead other people. Sometimes that's a faith thing. I just don't see it in myself. I don't, I don't see being able to help other people transition. I don't see. That's right. Sometimes we don't see. Yeah. But isn't that the essence of faith? Yeah. What's Hebrews 11.1 1 tell us? We are sure of what? Certain of what we do not see. If you could see it, that's beside the point. It's known. That's a fact. God's trying to help you to get to the place he has already seen you to be. But you can't get there without approaching it with faith. Maybe there's some other areas. This, maybe this is more ministering, meeting the pressures of needs. There are some things that kind of fall within this ministry category that are more than just your faith, less than sin, somewhere shadily in between. But you can still use principles in these ways to approach that. So what we'd like for you guys to do for the next... We're all off schedule. 12 minutes, 12 minutes, it's a nice odd number, but hey, three people, y'all can divide that up. Break into groups of three, even number, even number. It's even, but it's not. It's even, but it's not. It's even not when you divide, anyway. 
So if you can divide up in groups and things, the way I like to do this is if you are here with other people that know you, I would actually divide up with someone else that you don't know. If you're a girl, if by chance you can find a guy in the room, divide up in that way. Because we want to be able to get other perspectives, right, so that we can address these issues of faith. And then you're going to have one person from your group give a short presentation on one of those areas. Okay? Sound fair? Great.
to, you know, work with the